0: y'all know that we all have different preferences? Anybody in here know that? If you're married, you know there's different preferences, right? Uh, we all have different opinions. We all have opinions on what the most important things in life are. Like, what are the most important priorities in our lives? And and uh, and these things they 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 reflect themselves in, in small ways. Like, okay, how many of y'all drink coffee? Anybody drink coffee in here? Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. We got, we got Baptist Brew right out there in the foyer. If y'all missed it, you can get some on your way out. Uh, but how many of y'all like your coffee just black? Okay, and, and so if you like your coffee black, you basically think that anybody that puts anything in their coffee aren't coffee drinkers. You're like, what are y'all even doing? I don't even understand. Like, it's coffee. Why do you drink it any other way? How many of y'all go to coffee shops, but never get coffee. How many of y'all go to coffee shops and never get coffee? Okay, I've seen a lot of that, y'all frappuccinos, and it's like, <laughs> just go to a smoothie shop, people. I mean, it's the same thing. But uh, how many of y'all, when you, uh, when you eat, you eat one thing at a time, okay? Like if you're, you've got five things on your plate, how many of y'all will eat one thing at a time? How many of y'all eat one thing at a time? How many of y'all, you don't care. You're just going to eat it. However it goes, you're like, mix it up. Keep my palate guessing. I just want to eat it all, whatever it is. People that like to eat one thing at a time, like one of our kids, they will, they will like, we will put stuff on a plate. Then they will immediately take a fork or knife and begin to make sure that there are boundaries between everything. Like their stuff doesn't even touch on their plate. How many of you are beach people, beach people? Living that salt life in central Arkansas. That always cracks me up. (laughs) Salt life. I'm like, yeah. You got to drive 12 hours to get there, but salt life. It's cool. It's cool. How many are lake people? Any lake people in the house? We've told people so many times, look, the truth is this. We would love the beach if it weren't for all the sand and salt water. Other than that, we would love the beach. It would be awesome. We definitely have different preferences. But what are the most important things? What are the most important priorities? What are the essentials of our faith that really matter? I wanna ask you, I think, the most important question that we can ask. And this is one of our core values. Are you born again? Are you born again? I think it's one of the most important questions we can ask you, but I also think it's a really important question for you to ask yourself. The Bible says that you should ask yourself. And this is on our hearts big time as a church. The times that we're living in. The amount of deceit that is rampant. The amount of division that is rampant. It's really important that we ask ourselves the most, important questions and know the answers to those questions. I'm not saying this to scare you, but there is an eternal reality. There is heaven and there is hell. And they are eternal. Both of them. Eternal. And I think as a pastor, sometimes the best way that I can love you is to get you to ask yourself the tough, but most important questions. It says in 2 Corinthians 13:5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? I think we have two uh, major ways that the enemy tries to manipulate and deceive people in the church, okay? People in the church. One way is some people are solid in the faith. Like they're saved, but they still have a lot of doubts. And they get tormented by these whispers from the enemy trying to get them to question their faith. It's not real. You never really did this. You're such a faker. You didn't really give your life to Jesus. And so these people, as they're tormented by these thoughts on a continual basis, what winds up happening, I find, is that they get led into a place of guilt and condemnation because the enemy is using these accusations and whipping them like brass knuckles continually and then, as a result of that, they are focused on their mistakes. And they're so focused on their mistakes and saying, I shouldn't do those things, that they wind up doing those things. Have you ever re- realized that? Like, the more you focus on what you shouldn't do, the more likely you're gonna do those things. So, that's one person. They just get beat up by lies from the enemy. From their own heads and hearts. But then there's another person. Some people that believe that they're a Christian and going to heaven and they're not. And these people walk around with a false assurance. And I've met a lot of these people. I've met way more of them since living in the Bible Belt. I've met a ton of them. Good old boys and girls. They're just, man, they're just, they've just got, the, just got the sweetest hearts they're just good people walking around with this idea that because they are good that makes them saved but they have no relationship with Jesus so i want to i want to talk through both of these misconceptions today i ask people often hey when did you get saved when did you get born again And it's interesting to me how so many people, when I ask them that very specific question, they almost get this like concerned, confused look on their face. And a lot of times the answer kind of goes like this. Well, when I was nine, I made it, but it was like, then I was 24 and rededicated, but really didn't get on track, I was 25. So I was like, I don't, it's probably like nine or 25. It's like somewhere in there. Okay, now how ridiculous would that sound in reference to marriage? How long have you been married? Well, it's like nine, I think, but I don't know because I didn't get real serious about it until I was. So it's probably like nine or 12. Somewhere in there. When you know, you know. When I was single, and living alone without Cody in my heart, uh, there was a way that I ran my life in living space, right? But once I got married and I invited her into my house, she took over. <laughs> Everything got rearranged and clean. Quite honestly, our, our house looked like a Pure 1 import showroom uh, floor, like... Like, I think it's mainly because we registered there and got everything we registered. But for some reason, we registered for 250 different candle holders, I think. <laughs> like, our house looked like a Catholic church. Like, like you walked in, it's like, I never owned a candle before I got married to Cody. Like, people would walk in, like, dead of winter, and they're, like, sweating because we have every... Like, is this a seance? Are you... Are you cult members like, it's like, no, we just got a lot of candle holders. I remember how so much of how I lived changed. Like the things I ate. Like I remember there being times that she would look at me and something I was eating and that is when I learned the power of a judgmental glance. Like, I'd be eating, sitting there eating a Totino's pizza. Come on, a Totino's pizza, people. That, cr- that, that crispy crust. Like, it's similar to a Hot Pocket. Like, you better wait, let it cool off, or it'll burn everything on the inside of your mouth. But sometimes it's just so hard to wait. But I'd be sitting there, and she's just like, You're basically eating plastic. And I'm like, exactly. All of my insides will be coated. There is no way anything will be able to attach itself. And I remember, like, my old friends would come over. And it was completely obvious and evident to them that Cody had come into my life. Because everything had changed. When Jesus moves in, everything Changes. It gets cleaned out, rearranged. You get convicted of bad habits. He doesn't do touch ups, he does complete remodels. And it should be obvious to people around you that he has moved in. And if it's not, he hasn't moved in. He hasn't. Let's look at this passage. And let's see what the Holy Spirit would want to speak to us through. In John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, at night because he didn't honestly want his peers to see him having this conversation with Jesus. So he did it in secret. Rabbi we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How? Everybody say how. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Okay, natural birth and their soul changed. Number one, you must be born again. And being good isn't good enough. Being good is not good enough. I want you to look at this guy. Look at Nick. Okay, we'll call him Nick. Nick went to church regularly. He prayed daily. He tithed weekly. He fasted two times a week. And he memorized the first five books of the Bible word for word. Like he's in the word. And Jesus says, you're going to hell. He would be the perfect church member, right? Man, he... Nick's over there working coffee, greets at the doors. He fills in all the blanks on the notes for every sermon. He takes the trash out. Nicodemus would be the head deacon of a church headed for hell. I know some of you are like, man, I'm glad I came to church this morning. So encouraging. (laughs) I think there's two things we get grossly wrong, and it keeps us in captivity. One, we categorize sin. Like this is bad and this is not so bad. My kids do this. All of your kids do this. Hey, did you really hit him like he said? Yes, I did hit him, but I didn't hit him in the face. I just hit him in the stomach. Oh, okay. You're good then. (laughs) Punch away. But we compartmentalize and categorize and compare sin. And a real trap is when we start comparing our sin to other people's sin. Let me give you an example that comes up on the regular. Sexual sin. I think it's just important you understand very clearly. Sexual sin is sexual sin. So, any kind of sexual activity or sexual relationship outside of the context of how God designed it between a man and a woman in the context of covenant marriage, anything other than that is sin, it's sin. And the thing is, there are different consequences, no doubt. There are different natural consequences And some of those consequences are very much more severe, for sure, but God doesn't look at any of it and be like, oh, well yeah, they they just look at a little bit of porn every once in a while, that's not that big a deal. Oh, this person is having sex outside of marriage. This person's chosen an ulterior lifestyle No, sexual sin is sexual sin across the board. When we operate in this place, man, like I said, it really keeps us enslaved. It keeps us enslaved to our own sin. It also keeps us enslaved to being judgmental towards other people. Secondly, I think we think that God grades on a scale. Like an actual weighted scale. Like, as long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm good. Like, so yeah, I mean I I did some bad things, but now look, doing good things. So as long as that stays equal, but God says this God says, sorry, but you have to be perfect. And some of you like, wait, well, hold on, what? Hold on, hold on a second. We have to be perfect. Yeah, that's why it took Jesus to make you righteous. No one is perfect. But the only way that we get to God is by him making us perfect. So no, there isn't anything you can stack on a scale. It is what it is. So rituals are not enough. Confirmation, baptism, communion, dedication. Look, I remember when I, when I was growing up, I, I was in these cycles in different periods of my life, especially in like junior high, middle school, where I, I, it's like every summer camp, right? Every conference, it was like, all right, time to go get my skill balanced out. And I'd be at that altar. I'd be, man, I'm, just, I'm down here because, man, I've just been having a tough time and I need to get the scale balanced out. I better go repent. I better go do some good things. I'm gonna worship even harder. My hands will be raised the whole time because I gotta try to balance out the scales. But you know what else? Heritage is not enough either. This is so important. God does not have Grandchildren or great-grandchildren. God has kids, period. So you don't get saved or you're not saved because your parents served the Lord. Even if they were pastors, missionaries, that doesn't make you saved. God has children. God has kids. He doesn't have grandkids. So it's not something you inherit. You can't actually get anywhere because of what your parents did, your grandparents did. Look, they can pass down a legacy. But to be born again, this is something you do personally. One of our pastors had a guy come to him. And he was really, he was, the truth is he was working through conviction. But he didn't understand that. He didn't understand what was going on he came and he said, hey, I'm confused. I'm just dealing with this because at a church that I was at, the pastor at that church, I went and I asked him if he really believed I was saved. And what he said was, with as much as your parents have given to this church, with as, as much as your grandparents did to serve this church, if you're not saved, I don't know that any of us could be saved. But as I'm sitting and listening to you, I don't feel saved because I feel convicted that I haven't made a decision. Well, the pastor was able to lead him to the Lord with a personal decision. Look, I'm I'm thankful for the spiritual heritage that I've come from. I'm thankful that both of my parents love the Lord, spirit-filled believers. But (laughs) I've never banked on. I'm thankful for it. But I know that I had to make the decision. You can get an inheritance from your parents. That's awesome. I think it's great to establish legacy that you hand down to your kids. I, I found out there's this this psychological thing called psychological wealth trauma. And that's where somebody that has a huge inheritance that is going to be owed to them, but they, don't, they, they can't even wrap their minds around how they could handle or manage that much money. And so they're just overwhelmed by that. I don't know if any of you are in that place right now. But I am praying with all my heart that you are a strong believer in tithing. Like, like, like I didn't have this growing up. Uh I caught I had po folk trauma, like like this comes from drinking like a lot of off-brand Kool-Aid, eating mayonnaise and American cheese sandwiches, and a lot of ramen noodles. Like that's that was that's what I had. But regardless of what legacy you feel like you're living out, when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, it has to be personal. Matthew 7, 21 says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Man, there's a lot of preachers' kids out there that's just stepped right into their father's shoes or their mother's shoes, in ministry. And they can do spiritual things, but it doesn't mean they have a relationship with Jesus. Because what he says is, I never knew you. This is intimacy. This is a heart to heart. This is transparency. This is a daily devotion, conversation, it's relationship. Hebrews 9.10 says this, for the old system dealt only with certain rituals what foods to eat and drink rules for washing themselves and rules for this and that the people had to keep these rules to tide them over until Christ came with God's new and better way you can't get to god through works number 2 you can't get to god through works Remember what Nicodemus said in verse four, he said, how can this be? This is not just a question. Religion is always interested in the how. Religion is always saying, if you just give me the list of how, I'll go do that. Nicodemus had lived this his whole life because he had been fulfilling over 600 hows from the Old Testament. And so here's this Jesus, and it seems like Jesus is communicating that there might be a new how. And so Nicodemus is literally trying to figure out. He's not hearing the spirit behind this. He's literally hearing the practical, what's my next step to make sure that I get to go to heaven? How? How? That's religion. And I've lived in that, I've lived in that. You know what religion is like? I used to go to the sand dunes, the great sand dunes, huge mountains of sand, crazy. And it is so difficult to walk up these huge sand dunes because it literally feels like you take two steps forward and then you're back. If you don't keep moving, you just kind of drift back down That is exactly what religion feels like. This is hard, this is arduous. I feel like I've taken the steps to get closer to Jesus, but every time I stop, I drift back, and then I'm away from him, and I've gotta try to do this again. So in your life, you've already identified these couple of huge steps that you have to take to try to get to Jesus. When I got saved, I knew I had to stop cussing. So I stopped cussing. And then I knew that I had to go to and learn the Bible. So I got in a Bible study that I hated. And once I got in the Bible study, I knew then I had to serve. And so I signed up to work in the nursery. And the problem is, those kids don't know Jesus. And so... I cussed when I was in the nursery. And I was so frustrated and upset that I cussed in the nursery, I went to my Bible study. And I was so mad about it in there that I cussed in my Bible study. So now, I'm back at square one. Trying to walk. Back towards Jesus again. There isn't a how that is enough. There's not a how that's enough. A lot of us like the idea of a how. Like if I told you, really, this is how you get saved. I need you to all go out. Um, we're gonna we're gonna gather out here on the gravel, and. Um, we're, we're going to start crawling around the building on our hands and knees um, like, like Jericho. Um, once we get to seven laps on our hands and knees, then you're saved. And some of you would sign up for that immediately because you really feel like it's your ability to accomplish the how. And it isn't that. You know, when I, I think about the, the broad road, The road to hell is broad. The road to heaven is narrow. And so you paint this picture in your head, like I remember growing up thinking, okay, so the road to hell, like if you look at the road to hell, there's like some guys hanging out there and they're smoking pot and they've got ACDC shirts on and there's bad, like, you know, white snake is playing in the background. There's cats running all over the place. the road to hell. And then the narrow road to heaven is just this kind of dimly lit with a light there at the end, a little bit of mist and foliage hanging over. And You just pick that path. And you walk it alone to heaven. No, the reason why the road to hell is so broad is because the road to hell is full of people consumed with the how. How can I earn my, look, I don't care who you are, every person on earth, when it comes, I'm, I'm telling you, especially when they're on their deathbed, they are really concerned with how, how. And I don't care how evil of a person you are, you will think in the back of your mind, if I just do enough good things, then I'm good. That's why the road to hell is so broad because people don't understand. No, there isn't a how that you can accomplish. Jesus did all the how. He did it all. You can't do it. He did it. You have to accept what he did, period. No matter how or no matter what you've done, Jesus still loves you. No matter what you've done, Jesus loves you. All of us could probably quote this verse. John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know what is so cool about verse 16? There are 25 words in it. There's 25 words in it. The middle word is son, Jesus. You see your salvation hinges on Jesus and nothing else, nothing else. A world dead to itself in sin, hinging on a savior, but you still have to make a choice. I want you to know that there's nothing that you have ever done or ever will do that'll cause you to lose value to God. He will love you the same because he is love. It's like if I had $100 up here, which I don't because I have four kids, so there's no way I'd ever have 100 bucks just laying around. It's just not gonna happen. But I've heard about them. I've seen them on TV and stuff. And if I have a $100 bill up here, and it like a brand new $100 bill. And then I crumpled it up and I spit on it and I stomped on it and I covered it in dirt. How many of y'all would still want that $100 bill? Some of you are like, no way. Have you not heard of COVID? <laughs> Fair enough. Point is this. No matter what I do to that hundred dollar bill, it's still worth hundred dollars. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't matter how messed up, jacked up you have done yourself, or that's been done to you. Whatever it is, their value is established by what was exchanged for you. God said. I esteem them so highly, I exchanged my son for them. That's your value. But at the end of the day, to be born again, you have to accept that. And understand that, that because of that great love and great grace and great mercy, why would you ever want to abuse that kind of love, that kind of grace, that kind of mercy? Why wouldn't you want to walk out repentance and and be sanctified daily? Why wouldn't you? In the early 1800s, a guy named George Wilson, he robbed a mail carrier on a stagecoach and in the process, someone died in the robbery. And this young man was sentenced to die for his crimes by hanging. But Andrew Jackson pardoned the man the day that he was supposed to be hung, but the prisoner rejected the pardon. He rejected it. I don't know why, but Andrew Jackson thought about it and he ruled, a pardon rejected is no pardon at all. And this young man hung while his pardon was laying on the desk. Like, we hear that story like, why in the world would anyone reject a pardon? I don't know. Why in the world would anyone reject their eternal pardon? Why would anyone do that? I want to read these last few verses. This is in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who hurt him. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. How could we neglect so great a salvation? Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Father God, I just pray that right now you would move in this room. Lord, I know that you are not a God of condemnation, shame, or guilt, but you are a God of relationship. You're a God that set it up to where we didn't have to do all the hows. All we had to do is accept the who? Your son, Jesus. Jesus so, Father, during this next song, I pray if there's anyone that just, maybe there's just some things that they've been holding on to. They are a believer. I want to speak specifically to those that constantly question their salvation because of the lies of the enemy, maybe because of how they were raised, maybe because of some, something some preacher said at some point. They feel like they, they're constantly teetering between losing their faith God, I just pray that even during this song, you would bring them assurance of their faith. And also know that you wanna work in the hearts of those that maybe for some of the same reasons have never truly had a relationship with you. If you're in that place where you, if you're just being really honest, and I asked you, are you born again? And if you were honest and you answered, you don't have any assurance that you are. For whatever reason, if that's you today, I'd encourage you let's come to Jesus right now, let's make a decision. I want everybody just to be in prayer, but if that's you, and you wanna be included in a prayer for salvation and repentance, I'm just gonna ask you to put your hand up right now across this room, and I'd like to pray with you. Nobody's looking around. Most important decision you'll ever make. I got you, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Got you, sir. Anyone else? I'm just away from Jesus. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Got you. Anyone else? I need to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. I'm ready, I wanna be born again. Anyone else? Okay, yes ma'am, gotcha. Okay, for everybody raise your hand, the word says if you believe in your heart, and confess this in your mouth then you can be saved. And so this is not something, you can make a personal Decision right there in your chair, but your faith is never meant to be private. And so I'd encourage you, as soon as you can, tell people that you've accepted Jesus. Tell people that you're born again. Go public with that decision through water baptism as soon as you can. But right now, you can say it loud enough for your own ears to hear, or just in your heart, it's fine but I want you just to just have a conversation with the Lord. and Just say this, say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. I believe that you died on the cross, you paid the price. You fulfilled everything that needed to be fulfilled so that I could be saved. And I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. And I thank you that you defeated sin and death when you rose from the grave. And that because of that, yes, I have the hope of heaven, but I also want to live my purpose in you now. I want to live life and life to the full for those that that find themselves in Christ Jesus. That's what I want. And I know the only way that I can have that is I can't do things my own way. And so I repent. I surrender to you, Jesus. Have my life. Have my life. I wanna live for you. Father, I thank you for every person that just said that prayer. Lord, as we worship you today one more time, I just pray that you would, by your spirit, move in every one of our hearts. Lord, for those of us that have taken for granted our salvation. Let us remember what the most important thing is. For those of us that have found salvation today, I thank you for a new joy and peace that there is in worshiping because it's not just a name. It's a relationship. Continue to work and move in Jesus' name.